evening and welcome to this week's episode of the Sporting Hour. I'm joined as I am every week by Kieran Batham. We've got lots to look forward to across the next hour of the show. We'll have our local football roundup. We'll take a look back on the South Yorkshire derby that took place at Oakwell at the weekend with the Blades winning a narrow one there, 3-2 over Barnsley. We'll also look back on the Millers, the Owls, Doncaster Rovers as well. A look at their results from the weekend as we uh, progress through the uh, Football League season. In the second part of the show, we'll take a look at some of the other big stories from the world of sport, including that nightmare weekend for Oregon and Solskjaer as Mo Salah, who's arguably the best player in the world at the minute, scores a hat-trick at Old Trafford to beat Manchester United 5-0. And in the final part of the show, we'll be taking a look at back at England's two opening World T20 games. And we'll also be taking a look at the big news that's come out of the cricketing world this week as Ben Stokes has been added to the Ashes squad. Yeah, Ben Stokes back for England in the Ashes this winter, which is a massive boost. We'll take a look back on that in the opening of the T20 World Cup. But we'll start, as we do every week, with the uh, local football roundup. And the big game of the weekend was on Sunday this week, not Saturday, as it was moved to a uh, Sunday lunchtime kickoff. The Blades travelled to Barnes in a game which you could probably say that both teams um, needed, not needed to win, but would have liked to have won. Barnes is struggling down the bottom of the uh, of the championship and the Blades form a little indifferent at the minute. And it looked like after the first half, it was probably going to head out for a bit of a nil-nil draw after a bit of a drab first half, which I'm sure Kieran will come on to tell us about as he was there at the weekend. But then a, a much improved Blades performance for the next uh, 20, 30 minutes of that second half saw them race into a 3-0 lead, two goals from Lise Mousset, and then Ben Osborne making it 3-0, and then a late rallying comeback from Barnsley. Devante Cole and Leia getting on the score sheet um, to try and um, to try and get them back in the game. Leia Seca getting on the score sheet there uh, to try and get them back in the game. But uh, they couldn't manage it in the end, and Sheffield United saw out a 3-2 victory, which was uh, most needed, you'd probably say, wouldn't you, Kieran? Yeah, it was. I mean, obviously, I didn't, didn't do the show last week, but after a couple of um, indifferent results, particularly the, the Millwall one, um, you know the last minute killer. I think it was needed just for just for the fans, just to give us that good feeling around the club again. And I think if we had a loss to a Barnsley team, like you say, that are struggling and not winning um, ten or eleven games, um, you know, maybe a few questions would have been would have been asked, you know, by probably by a minority of fans about the the manager and what was happening. Uh, not by myself, but it was like saying it was a, a very important win. The first half, I've got literally nothing to say about it other than it was one of the worst half of football I've ever seen from both sides. Um, we had no real sort of identity. We were passing it a little bit. You know, pass, the keeper would pass it out to the centre half. We'd sort of bang it long and, and hope Moose could get in down the channel. Probably worked twice and we tried it 25 times. Barnsley had very little from what I remember. Just a really, really poor um, first half. As a second half, 25 minutes, we... The first 25 minutes, we, we looked a completely different side. We looked like the side that you kind of wants us to be. We, you know, we moved the ball quicker. Um, it wasn't, you know, to centre half and bang it long. It was to centre half and then play it into feet. And then, you know, we actually looked to try and play a bit of football. Um, Lise Mousset takes his first goal, you know, outstandingly well. That's a great finish. And then I think it's a minute later, um, Osborne does fantastically well with the cross and, and Moose taps into an empty net. And then Osborne takes his goal quite well as well. It was a, a decent move for that one. And then, and then just mayhem. To be honest with you, I'm there thinking, you know, we've wrapped it all up. It's easy days, and then you know, Sheffield United do what Sheffield United do, and and you know, we can never have anything easy. And they get the two goals from poor defending. And uh, and I've said it on the show plenty of times. It doesn't matter how control we are of a game, we always concede chances, which is a concern. 
and it was it was nice to see Slav's reaction. Um, he he wasn't happy at all with it. You know, we could we could have easily drawn that game three three. And they had a chance from a corner where they added it just wide. And if that goes in, we're sat having a completely different conversation. So it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, whether it can be addressed with the players that we've got in the squad already, I'm not too sure. Or whether bodies need to come in. Because like I said before, the defenders, if you look at them individually, they're, they're good defenders and midfielders are, are good midfielders in Fleck and Norwood. But they're just not. It's just not working, and we're conceding too many chances, which is a real, real concern. So I saw a fan on Twitter that probably the game of the weekend probably raises more questions than answers. To be honest with you, like I said, but it's three points. We'll take it, but there is still that concern that we are conceding chances and conceding goals against Barnsley, who I don't think had scored in seven or eight and not won in ten or eleven matches. Yeah, I think it was for the Aseka goal, the second one of Barnes, is it, where there's really poor defending at the near post, where does he like weave in and out of a couple of players then because it as he then fires the ball in, I believe. I think the Devante Cole one was a bit of a was a was a half decent finish from Devante Cole, wasn't it? I think the Aseka one is poor defending from Davis and a couple of others, is it? I think uh, in in the side looked a bit but like you say, a bit panic stations, you know, the ball bounced around in the six yard box and they just couldn't manage to get a composed clearance on the ball or somebody stand up and block the shot. It just seemed to be a little bit frantic in there. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's not just this game. You know, the Derby County game when we go one 0 up, we've got eleven men. They've got ten. Tom Lawrence goes through, hits the post. Um, it's the post in the last second. Uddersfield, we score in the ninety-first minute. They score in the ninety-fourth. Uh, Preston, ninety-fourth minute again. Um, Millwall, ninety-second minute or whatever it was again. It, it's it's a really really concerning. It's concerning me to be honest with you because I'm just I'm sick of seeing particularly fans at Bramall Lane in the away and having having limbs in the ninety or minute. I don't. Is it, if it's a mental thing, if it's a, a player thing, I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it is a concern. And, and like Slav said at the weekend, he's he went he went away from that match not happy with how we played in that last 10-15 minutes. You know, we just needed to be more composed, keep the ball. But again, we just went to the like you say, panic stations of of kicking it anywhere. Davis, who I think's been quite good, had an absolute nightmare. Um, I can't remember if it was Davis or Egan with the poor defending, but you know they were they both had poor games. Like I said, Davis was terrible, and I've been quite quite impressed with him since he's come in. Um, so yeah, it was like I said, just it's something that needs addressing. And like I just said, whether it's addressing with new signings or address within, and and you know, it's just we've we've got to we've got to shore up that defence, and and that's not just taking the back four and goalkeeper. Um, that that's defending as a team, obviously with a, with Fleck and Norwood, and, and even right at the front, whether it's Sharp or Moose, we've got we've got to be better at conceding less chances. Coming on to Musa, he's a player that had a, a bit of a, a difficult time last year. Um, he had a really good first season in the Premier League, didn't he? Where he well, first, <clears throat> sorry, half a season in the Premier League, where you know he scored the goals against Manchester United, and a lot of people thought you know he may be a, a good acquisition from from Bournemouth. And his career seems to have gone downhill at Bramall Lane ever since. I know you're someone that thinks that if they can get him fit this year, he can score goals. He, he possesses pace, doesn't he, to run in behind? And he also shown, I think, with the goal that he scored, the first one where he cuts inside and, and whips the ball in. It's similar to a goal he scored against Man United, I think, where he's from from the edge of the box, where he's drilled one across the keeper or whipped one around the keeper. Um, so he showed that he has got goal scoring ability. It's just a case of, of keeping him fit, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the thing, and that's what all shifting out of fancy. If we can keep him fit, if we can keep him fit, we we keep saying it. And he went off injured again at the weekend with a slide knock. Um, obviously, I hope it's nothing too serious, but. Like I said, if you can keep Moose fit and, and, and on it, 
but it's all ifs and ifs and ifs and ifs and ifs. We just keep saying if this and if that. He's got to show it now. He's coming towards the end of his contract. He's got to show a, a willingness to be able to work hard in the bits that we don't see. You know, whether that's in the gym, obviously, you hear stories of him. You know, obviously, we had the incident with the Lamborghini last year and you hear other stories of him being a bit daft. He's got to get his head down and do it now. Like I say, there's no doubt possesses ability. Um, so he went on that month or two in the Premiership where he was our main threat and scoring goals against Manchester United and Arsenal and Wolves. Um, so Sean, he's got it, and like I say, he played well at the weekend. Um, well, from from a half time, he, he looked like a, a real threat. And if if again, I'm saying if if he can stay fit, he could be one of the top strikers in the division. He's, he's nowhere near the level of a of a Mitrovic, but for me, he'd be right up there. But again, it's all if buts and maybes. It, it is time now for Moose to to knuckle down, make get himself fit, because like I say, he's coming towards the end of his contract, and a few United fans saying. Should he be offered a new deal? If you're going on ability alone, you'd have to say, yeah, at the minute. Um, particularly in the Championship, he'll, he'll always score your goals, provided he, he does keep fit. So I think it's a, a big few months now um, for Lise Moussa as well. And Blackpool next for the Blades at Bramall Lane. And we spoke a, a fair bit about games that the Blades should be looking to win if they're going to be top six, but that definitely is one, isn't it? I know Blackpool have, have done OK so far this year. Former Miller, Jerry H has started scoring, having a bit of a tough time at the start of the Championship season. He's started scoring now for Blackpool, but... And you'll be promoted side at Bramall Lane. The Blades would be expecting to beat them, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would be. I think since the last, not the last international break has gone, but the, the previous one where we went on a good run, um, there's only two teams that have got more points than us in that period of time. One of those, obviously, Bournemouth, and the other one is Blackpool. So they, they've been in a, a really good run of form. Um, so again, it'll be a, a really tough one. But I, mean, I looked at the table the other day and I'm baffled how we're only three points off the playoffs. It just shows how poor of a division it is at the minute. I mean, you look at the teams in the playoffs. Huddersfield, Luton, Middlesbrough, I think, are in there. Um, you know, the, from again, just shows how poor it's been. You've obviously got the top three teams, particularly the top two that look like they might run away with it. Um, but, you know, we, we've got to win this. I think most we can hope for now, at the very most, is playoffs. So if we've got any ambitions of that, we've got to be beating Blackpool. And like I said, no disrespect to Blackpool because they're a, a decent team and they've been on a very good run. Um but we, yeah, like I said, we, we've got to be beating the likes of Blackpool at home if we have ambitions of getting in the playoffs. So we spoke about the Blades. We'll, we'll move on to Barnsley now. And I suppose after th- after after 75 minutes, you're thinking that this is surely the end of Marcus Shop at Barnsley. Um, and then they kind of rally back in the final 10 minutes. And I suppose the question kind of is, that, that everybody will ask is, is that 10-minute rally just reaction from the players to try and do it for the fans in a bit of a local derby? Or is it... You know, the players are still playing for Marcus Shop and they tried to get back in the game. That, that's the question to ask. I think you look at some of the interviews that, that players have done. I think Callum Britton and, and, and a few others did a few interviews where they've said that um, they're not they're not doing enough in training and so on, which suggests that they're not they don't want to play for the manager. But when you see a team, you know, rally back like that to try and get some points, you think that there must be a little something there for the manager, maybe. I don't know, to be honest with you. I think that last ten minutes probably serves his job for another week. Um like I say, they, they were awful. They were just as bad as us, us in the first game, in the first half, sorry. Um, and then for 25 minutes, they looked absolutely all over the place. And like I said, that, you know, maybe if they, that had just been a, a bit of a one-off game, you can sort of accept it. But they were singing sacked in the morning to him and maybe that last 10 minutes do, does save his job and maybe it does show that they, they are playing for him a little bit. But, you know, it's the subs that have come on and got him the goal. I know a lot of people are complaining about Woodrow while saying, why he got got two strikers on the bench when and he's playing a couple of strikers who, who are banging um, out of form and, and no confidence. Um, 
So yeah, to me, for the for the, for, for 70, 75 minutes, it looked like a team that were in absolute free fall, and, and the only reason, um, you know, that we weren't three or four up in, in the first half because we were just just as bad. Um, had they come up against a Bournemouth or or a Fulham on Saturday, they could have been five, six, seven. That, that's no word of a lie. Um, so yeah, maybe the last ten minutes does save his job. Maybe it does show that, but I think only time will tell. Um, it's all right performing for ten minutes. That if, if they're not up for a South Yorkshire derby from the first minute, you know, th- there's obviously something up. And if players are coming out saying that, I think it's surely a matter of time. And when the fans turn, lots of fans went out at three nil, which I don't blame them for. But they'd have felt a bit daft had, had they scored in the last minute. Um, you know, it wasn't wasn't the best atmosphere from from both ends. Probably partly due to the game, but I think the only time Barnsley fans did sing was to was to sing "Shop Out," and there was also taking the mick about saying we've got the ball and we've scored a goal and and this sort of ironic chance like that, which I think that never never um, single uh, signals good news. Yeah, I've seen a lot of Barnsley fans saying they want him out. Um, they've had enough. Uh, I've seen a lot saying as well that Devante Cole should have started. Apparently, recent recent weeks he's done pretty well. Devante Cole and should have started. I've seen. A few saying I watched a couple of like the fan videos and stuff from from Barnsley fans after the game and they weren't happy. Um, I listened to Praise of Grumble as well in uh, in the week and they spoke about Corley Woodrow taking the set pieces. Then I watched the game at the weekend on on the red button on Sky and Woodrow was taking the set pieces. It just baffled me. Like Roy Hodgson and Harry Kane in the in the in the Euros taking the corners. Um, but yeah, yeah, why you'd have your talisman, your main man taking corners? I'm, I'm not really sure, but um, I'm sure somebody like Callum Styles or someone could whip a, a half decent corner in or uh, one of the others in the team. But uh, yeah, troubling times for Barnsley. Barnsley um, searching for that win, and their next game's Bristol City away, and Bristol City have have got a pretty terrible home home form, haven't they? I believe Bristol City. They're not great at home, are they? Is it? Is it? I think they're still not one all season. Yeah, all season and then back into last season as well, isn't it? So they've got a pretty yeah. terrible um, home form, Bristol City. So you think that if they were to lose there and give Bristol City that first home win, it would surely be the end for Marcus Shop. And um, who knows, maybe we could see, like you said to me a few weeks ago, maybe we could see Mick McCarthy uh, in at Barnes to a bit of a saviour job to the end of the season after he lost his job at Cardiff. But um, yeah, yeah. A good win for the Blades in the end and um, and a good effort from Barnes to try and get back into the game, but they just fell short in that one and uh, they move on to their games this weekend. We'll cross now into League One and we'll talk about a great away win for the Millers who are absolutely flying at the minute. I'll try and say that without a smile on my face and without trying to sound too biased, but it is really good times at the minute at the New York Stadium for Rotherham United. Um, Paul Warren's men went to the MK Dons, a team that renowned for keeping the ball and, and playing some really good stuff and um, and have done really well so far this season under Liam Manning, the, uh, the young manager. But it was all the Millers in, in a really one-sided game in which, you know, I think if you listen to Liam Manning's um, take of the game, he's, he's the only person in the country that's seen it that way, that's been to the game. Um, the Millers were fantastic, controlled the game from from minute one, um, hurried and pressed and and hassled the, um, the MK Dons players so they couldn't have that time on the ball to play. Brilliant set-up in the end by by Paul Warren to go and uh, hurry and hassle them and, 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 like I say, really make them uncomfortable and not let them settle into their game. And then we just took our chances from, from that point on. Um, Michael Smith hits the bar early on uh, in the in the first couple of minutes with a lobbed effort that hits the, hits the bar. Um, then we have chances through Smith with a, with a bit of a, an overcooked touch that runs away to the keeper he, and he's in one-on-one. Grig in one-on-one and unselfishly slide it to Smith and it's just in front of him. And then, you know, the goals come, Ekwe with the header, fantastic ball in by Barlasa, who's, who's played really well in recent weeks, really settled into T9, that bit of a quarterback role that, that he seems to have got. And 
it's a really pivotal role for me that now for us because the start of the season with Lindsay, Wales and Rathbone in there, we had three midfielders that wanted to go and press all the time. And there are three players that like to travel with the ball, like to carry the ball. And we had no passer in there, nobody to keep the ball moving, nobody to switch the play. And Barlas has really settled into that role now and um, switches the play really well to, to, the, to the two wing-backs that we have. So um, another great game for Dan Barlasser. Uh, his corner um, goes all the way in, Michael Smith claiming it, who knows? And then um, whether he got the touch or not, and then to round it off, brilliant work from Mikel Miller, pulls it back to Ladapo's deflected shot goes in to round off. A pretty perfect day for the Millers. You'd have to say that they are the informed team in League One at the minute, aren't we? Yeah, you are, and I think like I think you said it to me, a uh, very you know very much a, a statement victory, as was the the Portsmouth uh, win. You know, a team that are up there and getting plaudits for uh, their style of play. Now they've been playing, and the manager who've been getting a lot of plaudits as well. Like you say, I think he come. Up, I didn't see the game, um, so I, I sort of read your match report and then then listened to him. I thought, well, somebody got to be lying. And then I looked at the Millers and even MK Dons fans and they were even saying he was talking absolute rubbish. Um, so maybe a little bit of sour grapes there, but yeah, you, you are the informed team at the minute. Um, looking through my bets as I did on, on Saturday, I had no doubt about chucking the Millers in at all because I just think you're, you're in that much form at the minute and I, and I fancied you to go there and against a team who, like I say, started the season very well like yourselves and I just fancied you to do the job. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of teams at the minute, probably yourselves and Plymouth, that are neck and neck for for form team in the division. Um, you know, it seemed to have ironed out the the few little issues maybe that you had at the start of the season. Um, I know you were concerned about a few things, but that, that looks like that's getting sorted now. And I think it's, um, you know, I was looking at the league table earlier, that, that top four pack, is it top four or five? They're, they're, they're getting a little gap already. I know it's probably too early to start talking about you know, teams running away with it and a, and a um, you know, a, a three or four starting to, to emerge. Um, but who is it now? Is it what yeah, we got? Yeah, Plymouth, Wickham, Wigan, Sunderland, and Rotherham. So yourselves at that top five. A little bit of a gap. I know Sunderland have got Sunderland and Wigan have got a game in hand. Yourselves have got a game in hand on Plymouth, and there'll be there'll be a team that come from nowhere, you know, an Ipswich or a Wednesday that do that do break into it. Um, but I don't see Rotherham faltering at the minute. I really, really don't. Obviously, you like you'll have your little hiccups at the minute. But uh, and again, I, I was wrong. I probably had them tip for playoffs, sneak into the playoffs. But Paul Warren seems to be doing doing it again in League One, and uh, I think he'll be challenging for for automatics. Yeah, I think we've only conceded something like, apart from the Fleetwood game, we've where we've conceded four in the Fleetwood game. We've only conceded four goals in the rest of the season, uh, I believe, which is um, I think something like that, um, which is crazy. Um, we conceded it against Crew. We conceded against um, Fleetwood. Obviously, four goals there. But we conceded against Link. Oh, it might be it might be six actually. We conceded. Sorry, other than that, which. Is, is crazy, you know, for the amount of games we've played, you know, the, the clean sheet records are fantastic. We're on this unbeaten run now of, of about eight games, I believe it is, uh, eight, nine games that we're on now of an unbeaten run, which we've beaten some good sides. You know, the last three games, Portsmouth, Wickham and MK Don's all up there and, you know, we've come out with, with seven points from that. Sunderland's come at the weekend, which will be a massive game as well and, and one that I'm really looking forward to and, and one that I believe that we can go and win because the home form now, the penny seems to have dropped. We've stopped being so direct and just being trying to play on the counter all the time, like we do away from home sometimes. And we've started to, yes, if it's direct off the first one into Smith, we pick the second ball up and then play football on the second ball into Barlasa. Barlasa switching the ball across the pitch into the likes of Ogbene, Miller, Ferguson, um, you know, to go and run at players and to go and get at players. And it's just, it seems to be the penny's dropped ever since Barlasa's come into the midfield. 
in the especially at home because he just helps us dominate and control the game. He's somebody that always wants to get on the ball, somebody that you know likes to play the ball, has got in the locker to play the ball across the pitch, play crossfield balls into Ogbené and, and Miller and so on. And he seems to have helped us start to dominate the ball a little bit more in, in home games, especially. And um, like I say, I was very frustrated at the start of the season. I was one of those that I said that if Paul Warren was to go, I wouldn't be bothered because we didn't seem to have learned about or we didn't seem to have learned from mistakes in the past and we didn't seem to be learning from mistakes. That didn't mean I ever wanted Paul Warren to go. He's a fan, you know, fantastic manager he's been for the club and, and whatnot. And you just hope that the penny dropped before it got to that stage where, you know, where it got to the stage where you're kind of thinking it's going to get a bit toxic in here because there's so much potential in this group. We're not unlocking that potential. And the penny did drop fair play to the staff. They changed it up ever ever since the uh, the Wimbledon game. I think it was at home. They changed it up a little bit, and um, and you know we, we we've been much better. And why couldn't we go and win the league at the minute? That's that's that is a lot of you know the opinions of a lot of Rotherham fans. Why shouldn't we go and win the league? Because if we'd have if we'd have switched on for the first few home games of the season, we'd currently be romping the division, and everyone would be sat up there saying, "Wow, we're, we're in great form." and um, we're top of the league and so on and we're not that far off the top anyway as it is and I just think it's you know the, the group's flying out of confidence at the minute it do as the world are good to go and beat Sunderland at the weekend because that'd be you know beating Portsmouth 4-1 and beating MK Dons 3-0 and then to go and beat Sunderland at the weekend be three massive statements to go and put out to the to the division to say you know we're not here to, to mess about and try and get in the playoffs we're here to go and win it and you know, if you can keep a winning run going or a, an unbeaten run going, sorry, you know, the, the longer that unbeaten run stretches on for, the more chance you'll have of, of obviously reaching those goals. And we're renowned for having unbeaten runs. I think 15 games and 17 games in the last couple of times we've been in, in League One. And I just hope we're not having the run too early this time. We normally we normally falter a little before Christmas and then kick on. But um, hopefully we're having, you know, a decent run now and we can still kick on after Christmas as well. And, and you know, as long as we're in around that top, Top three or four are back, as you know, with the experience that we've got in the group and, and the experience of Warren and the staff of getting up to go and try and get up. So, um, fantastic at the minute, really good to watch and uh, and really enjoyable. And I went to the MK Dons at the weekend thinking this could be a, a difficult afternoon if we let them play and we let them, you know, dictate the game. And I've sat there in the away end at, at Stadium MK and I've not felt worried once all game. And I don't think I can give any more credit than that, can I? Fantastic win for the Millers and, and the Millers move on now to a, a massive game against Sunderland at the weekend. It's going to be a, a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah, it, excuse me. Uh, yeah, it is. I think they've been in good form. Obviously, they had a little bit of a hiccup. Um, again, another team I chucked on my bet of the weekend and, and they messed it up. So thanks for that. Um, you know, they were playing a Charlton side, rock bottom and Sunderland 100% at home. 100% record at home. So obviously, they're going to lose when I put them in my bet. But now that barring that, they've been a... Um, a a good side this year, and you know, they've got they've got good players in the team. You know the likes of, um, I know the Sunderland fans are giving them a bit of a stick at the weekend. I think, but Aidan McGeady, you know, is always um, you know at this level, no matter what age he is, he's always going to um, do do well. And I think that'll be the game of the day in League One. Um, obviously, Ross Stewart, I think he's dried up a little bit, but he, he scored goals this year. Alex Pritchard, you know, he was at Tottenham a couple of years ago, and Huddersfield paid, paid big money for him. All of the pitch that they've got good players, and I think it'll be a, a very good game. Um, it'll be interesting to see how you know if it, if I wasn't um, at the lane on Saturday, hopefully um, if I wasn't at the lane, um, it'd be a game I I I like to go and watch. You know, a game on telly that one. Um, I think it'll be a, a a good a good game between two two very good sides. 
Yeah, sell out of the New York at the weekend as well, albeit with the restricted capacity, thanks to the uh, council and their one thousand five hundred pound, uh, one thousand five hundred sorry restriction, with the uh, with the Don Street Works. But um, yeah, sell out. It can be at the New York at the weekend uh, for a big game in League One. Moving across now to Sheffield Wednesday, and another frustrating afternoon at Hillsborough as pressure grows on Darren Moore. The Owls taking the lead on the 55th minute. Dennis Adenarin breaking the deadlock. And then Lewis Monsma scoring from a set-piece once again as their set-piece troubles continue. The Owls conceded from a set-piece against Cambridge from a from a, a near-post run, conceded again from a, from a set-piece. I think Peacock Farrell myself, before I come on to your opinion, Kieran, I think Peacock Farrell could maybe do better with the header from Monsma that squirms underneath him. Um, but a really disappointing performance for Wednesday. You look at it now and they've changed to this... Um, They've changed to a bit of a, uh, a three at the back, haven't they, at the minute? Uh, like a five, a, a five, uh, three, two um, kind of shape, or definitely five at the back. And the five at the back at the weekend had Liam Palmer, who's a right back at right centre back. It had Dominic Iorfa at centre half, and then Marvin Johnson played left centre back. And I've spoken to a few Wednesday fans and listened to Praise of Grumble on the way home, and they were absolutely baffled as to why Marvin Johnson played left centre back. Does this strike of a manager in Darren Moore that's, you know, trying all, trying everything to try and find a winning formula? Uh, yeah, probably so. I mean, obviously, I've seen Marvin Johnson play for Sheffield United, and I can categorically say he's barely a footballer. Never mind the left centre half. Um, but yeah, so I was baffled when I saw that. I'm not. I've actually not seen any of the goals. I'm not. You don't watch Quest at the weekend. I fell asleep uh, watching matches the day and, and didn't make Quest because uh, I watched it that way around. But um, again, if Peacock's fouls made a mistake, that's again questions to be raised about that. Um, and again, I'm just looking at the league table again. Wednesday, ninth, you know, twenty-one points. Three points off Oxford, but then you're looking at six points off yourselves and um, nine points off the top two. How long do they give Darren Moore before they say, you know, it's, it's, it's getting out of our hands now a little bit. It's getting too far. We, you know, The fans don't seem to be happy with the style of play or the team selection or, or anything at the minute. Um, you know, I, I, come on, I think it was two weeks ago I said, you know, we've got to give Darren, you've got to give Darren Moore a bit of time. And that wasn't me as a Sheffield United fan, you know, taking the mick or anything. I, I genuinely thought, which maybe be on a bit more time, but things haven't really improved by then. I know they've picked a couple of points up, but you know, Wednesday shouldn't be sat ninth in the division. Um, you know, the, again, I'm, I'm not one of these saying, oh, that a team have got a, a God given right to be there. You know, you are where you are on merit, but they shouldn't be sat ninth in the division with the squad they've got. You know, Burton, MK, Dons, Oxford above them. Um, they, they should be a lot higher in the division. And I think, you know, now we're getting towards a time um, where you've got to be, got to be questioning question in his future um, I mean look at the fixtures who they got at the weekend but Chelmsford at the weekend Chelmsford at the weekend and then they play Sunderland after that so if they don't beat Cheltenham, I think it's time to go for him I think I think a lot of Wednesday fans are saying if, even if he does beat Cheltenham, um, it'd be time to go but if they don't get a win on the road on Saturday I think it could be a, a, another managerial sacking well after the after the Sunderland game they play Plymouth in the Cup which is not a favourable draw I know it's the Cup but it's not a not a, the the best of draws for Wednesday, and then they've got Harrogate in the in the Papa John's, but then back to league form with Gillingham at home, Accrington away. So you think the Gillingham at home, Accrington away games they they be aiming to win, but then they've got the MK Dons, Wickham, Portsmouth, the next three after that. The difficult games, and then you're, you're into Christmas then, and you know if they've not picked up many wins, they've had, I know they're unbeaten in the last four, but it's been three draws the last three games. I just think it's 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 frustrating times at the minute, isn't it, for Wednesday and. A lot of Wednesday fans calling for his head, and I know it's the the Wednesday fan thing to do, isn't it? To to knee jerk and and react to to, the, to Wednesday not being in great form. I just I just don't think he can find the right 
the right formula at the minute in terms of what to play. He, he can't seem to find the, the right midfielders to play. I've heard a lot hammering Bannon again, saying Bannon just walked around the pitch, moaning, complaining. You know, the Denneran and, and Dele Bashiru were far better than him. Uh, is it the way to go with the legs of, of, of Dele Bashiru and Denneran? And then, you know, your creative play in Bannon. You've got, obviously, Luongo is a player that they all seem to like that isn't fit at the minute. Lewis Wing on the bench, not really hit it off. A lot of Wednesday fans said they don't like him there. He was brilliant last year at the Millers. Um, a lot, a lot of them calling for Corbin now. The lad from Wolves to play more often. He doesn't seem to get much of a game, so it just seems really frustrating times at the minute. And like you say, with every result, it seems to be losing more confidence and more supporters in the stands. Only Darren Moore, and um, you'd wonder, you know, how long does Chanziri give Darren Moore, you know, and and how much how much capability do they have to sack him as well? It's just, it's a, it's a real. A real strange one at Wednesday at the minute, and one where I'm sure the Wednesday fans would have been hoping, you know, that they'd have been up near the top of the top of the table. And I just look back to when we played them earlier in the season; they beat us two 0 and I thought we were the better side for the majority of the game. And an, an error from Johansson, and an error from Harding really to get running behind. And I think I thought, I thought other than that, we didn't really get troubled too much. And you know, we've got the chance for sadly before half time. If he scores a penalty, I think we'd have beat Wednesday that day. And I didn't think much of them. And many thought that was sour grapes at the time because we'd been beaten by them. I just didn't think much of them. Um, so whether it's a case of, you know, too many new players have come in at once and he's struggling to find, you know, the, the best shape to play, the best player to play in, in certain positions, who knows? But he better find them quick or he'll be finding himself out of a job, won't he? Because we know for sure that Wednesday fans certainly won't give you any leeway, will they, in that dugout if uh, things start going wrong? As we've seen over over many years, just ask Tony Pulis and, and the rest, uh, and Gary Monk and so on, all about that one. But we'll move across now from Wednesday to a big win for Doncaster Rovers. And I spoke to Matt on the show last week, and I said that every week me and Kieran seem to do this show, we either talk about Doncaster winning a game or we talk about Doncaster losing a game. And it seems to be a win a, win a game, lose a game, and one step forward, two steps back. And you know, I think the last time we were on together, we spoke about them beating MK Dons in a bit of a coupon buster, and then they went and lost back to back games to Wickham and Gillingham. Um, and you know, we said again, you know, it's one step forward, two back, and came to the Cheltenham game the weekend, and a game that you thought that Doncaster really needed to win, and, and they turned up, didn't they, and won the game um, three two. Uh, three nil up, Joe Dodu, um, and Tom Anderson, and then Rodrigo Vilca scoring to put uh, Doncaster three nil up, and then maybe a similar thing to the Blades, a little bit of panic setting in, and maybe that's Doncaster not used to being in three nil positions this year and, and leading games going into the final twenty minutes this year. And um, Liam Serkin misses a penalty, uh, Alfie May returning to Doncaster, getting uh, a goal back, and then uh, a late goal as well from uh, Cheltenham by uh, Andy Williams. Uh, to make it 3-2. I think he's returning to Doncaster as well, Andy Williams, if I'm correct, a former Doncaster Rovers player. So two former Doncaster Rovers players scoring against them. But it's a massive three points for Richard Wallens and Doncaster, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, full credit to him. They, they've picked up a, a, of late. They've got a the couple of wins in the, in the last you know, two or three weeks. Um, you know, that it sees them off the foot of the table, which I'm sure you know, mentally is a, a good thing for him. You know, 10 points, you know, the the twenty third Shrewsbury just outside the relegation zone, um Donny have got two games in hand on them and you know I know it's too early to start looking at the table but I just think mentally for the players it's you know it's good to be off the bottom of the table and then you can sort of look at right we've got off the bottom of the table and you know, let, let's set aside on you know getting out of this bottom four and get getting out of this dogfight, um so yeah good good win for Doncaster I think their their fans would have been just as nervous as I was. Um, at the weekend when, when uh, Andy Williams slots that home to make it 3-2 uh, 
Um, but no, good win for Donny, and, and um, hopefully they can um, they can kick on again. Looking at their fixtures at the weekend, they've got Charlton away. They could be they could cut for a new manager bounce. I know it's Johnny Jackson as caretaker, but Charlton uh, have been poor. I'm sure Donny would have rather Nigel Atkins still been charged, but that'll be a tough place to go. So, like you say, it seems to be win or loss, win or loss. I'm sure if they could go and grind out a point down at the Valley, that would be a, a great point for Donny. Yeah, and crew to come the week after away, so a bit of a, a six-pointer in that one. And then back-to-back games against Scunthorpe. The draw is a back-to-back game against Scunthorpe and Doncaster in the FA Cup and the Papa John's. But a great win for Richie Wellens men to round off our look back on the uh, on the football from this weekend. Uh, that's all for part one. Coming up in the second part of the show, uh, we'll be taking a look at the big stories from the world of sport, including a big win for Liverpool Old Trafford as they win 5-0. On 102.4 FM, across Rotherham, online, on your mobile, and on your smart speaker. This is Red Road FM. Welcome back to the second part of this week's show. And it's now time to take a look at some of the big stories from the world of sport this week. And arguably, the biggest story is that winner, Old Trafford, for Liverpool at the weekend. Many thought that Liverpool may go to Old Trafford and win the game, but I don't think many thought they were going to win by five goals to nil in the style that they did. Mo Salah getting a hat trick and probably consolidating thoughts of many that he's the uh, the best player in the world at the minute, and uh, and compounding the misery on on uh, Oligon Solskjaer and a difficult time of late in the dugout at Manchester United um, to kind of make the day even worse. Poor Pogba goes and gets sent off, and there's so many talking points around the game. And I suppose the biggest talking point at the minute is the fact of we're probably surprised that Solskjaer is still in a job as we're sat here right now. Yeah, I'm actually not surprised at all, to be honest. Um, I think I was talking to one of my mates on Sunday who was a Liverpool fan, and they said they'll surely sack him. I said they won't sack him because he's a, he's a, he's a puppet, he's a yes-man. He's exactly what the, the Manchester United board want and need. Um, and that's seen various reports today. That's, that It seems to be that's what it is. Um, you know, they, Ed Woodward and co. didn't like the Mourinho-type manager who wants to go in and sort of run it all himself. They'd much rather prefer Solskjaer, who, like I say, is a bit of a yes-man, a bit of a puppet, and they can control more and they can make signings for and you know, it doesn't really give them a hard time. So in that aspect of it, I'm really, really not surprised at all that he's not been sacked. Um, you know, if me personally, should never have got the job in the first place. In the first place, I know he went on that good run after being caretaker manager, but, you know, he's bang average at, at the very best and, you know, we support we support teams in the football league. I can categorically say, championship level. I don't think there's a team that would take Solskjaer as manager. Yeah, he's manager of one of the biggest football clubs in the world. I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, I think the next the run of the next few games is quite important. Tottenham away at the <laughs> weekend. It's a it's a bang average Tottenham team, isn't it? It's not the a Tottenham team of old where you might think it's a tricky one to go there. I think if you're Man United with Ronaldo in the team and the players they have, you should go and win at Tottenham at the minute with, with how they're playing. Atalanta away, which is by no means easy in the Champions League. And then it's Man City uh, at home before the international break. I've just got a feeling that international break may come at a time where they, if they don't get anything from those three games or they pick up a point from those three games, they may look to make a change. There was a rumours, wasn't there, that they were going to make a change and whatnot and um, that seemed to go quiet. I just it's who they bring in as well, which is going to be a difficult decision. You know, Conte is the one that everyone's talking about. Would Conte come in and make them a bit harder to beat? Yeah, probably. Um, but they're not guaranteed to win the league if Conte comes in. 
So it's, it's a real difficult one at the minute. And you look at the performance at the weekend and I just thought they got it wrong from the offset. Um, for some reason, they tried to go and press Liverpool and they just got played around by trying to press them. Um, you know, they went and put the press on and, and got played around by by a team that are very good. If, you, if you're not very good at the press, then they're going to pick you off and, and pick you off into the spaces. And they put the press on and got picked off after, what, about five minutes, was it? The, the first goal, the, the Naby Keita goal. Um, yeah, five minutes in, Naby Keita, they, they pick them off. They go and press and they get played round and one of the centre-half jumps out and you get a, they get played around. Um and and the goal goes in. I think it's the the goal where Wan-Bissaka jumps out of the press, doesn't he, from right back to go and join the press, and the rest of them don't. Or two of the centre halves shuffle across. Luke Shaw doesn't shuffle into the space as they go and press the ball. It's out of sync, out of line, and they go and get played through, and and, and Liverpool go and score. It just set the tone of the day, and I thought it was a really really poor performance, poorly managed. Um, I don't know why they didn't try and sit on the counter like they normally would do um, against the Liverpool team. It was like Solskjaer thought. This is our patch at Old Trafford. We're not bothered about how good you are. We're going to go and do what we want to do. And it went the opposite way. And they just got picked off. And there's a lot of a lot of criticism has to go towards Solskjaer. But I think some of the criticism has got to go towards some of the players as well. Because, yes, I understand that they're being badly coached and the setup's not right. And, you know, the, the style in terms of, you know, putting a press on Liverpool, who you don't go and press Liverpool because they'll play around you. We know that. And we're not, you know, paid to be in the job that Solskjaer is in. But some of the individual performances were absolutely terrible at the weekend. I thought the back four for Man United was, was awful. Um, Wan-Bissaka made bad decision after bad decision. Maguire was terrible. Luke Shaw wasn't very good either. Leaving massive spaces along the back line. And then I've seen somebody praising Pogba they were showing some aggression. It's just a bit of stupidity for me. It's not good showing aggression to go and get sent off in a game and leave your teammates hung out to dry. It's typical Paul Pogba. Ronaldo should be sent off or... You know, should have, you know, could have been sent off for kicking out, you know, the ball at Curtis Jones. It was just a miserable, miserable day for Man United and one where they just got it wrong in every aspect, didn't they? Yeah, I pretty much fully agree with what you're saying there. You know, even about the press, it was it was a, the most pathetic press I've ever seen. I mean, I can remember one instance where Ronaldo sort of presses Allison, little side step pass and, and into the centre half. And I think, you know, the, the rest of the team's on the halfway line. So, like I say, then they're not getting clear instructions from the manager or the coaches. When you look at the coaching staff he's got there in McKenna and Carrick, particularly Carrick and an experience, you've got Mike Phelan who is experienced, but it's it's just obviously not working. Um, I mean he continues to pick McTominay and Fred, which I'm seeing Man United fans go mad about. You no, know, they we talked about Solskjaer not getting in a championship job. I don't think them two get in a championship team, to be honest with you. You know, not not both of them. You don't need both of them. And I, like I say, I get the play in Liverpool, but you know he's got Jadon Sancho on the bench, seventy odd million. Van der Beek, who is just totally just killing. Um, you know, week after week, doesn't get any minutes. It's it's ridiculous to be honest with you. And like I said, they 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 got what they deserved at the weekend. And had it not been for Liverpool, I think I saw probably sixty five minutes. I think the, the camera was on Klopp when he went. We just keep a clean sheet now. I think if Liverpool have, they, they were in first gear. If they had set up the third, fourth, fifth gear, it could have been six, seven, eight nil. It, it, it was that easy to carve through Man United. Um, yes, I know there's a red card for, for me. He's done that on purpose. Um, didn't want to, didn't want to be out on the pitch getting passed around off Liverpool. They'll have the next few games off, and you know, surprise, surprise, you're coming out. The reports coming out saying you know, Pogba's one of the ones not happy with Solskjaer and you know, not happy with training and, and this and that, like he always does. You know, I think I saw a clip of Roy Keane said. It's the same group of players that stabbed Mourinho in the back. 
um, they'll do the same to Ollie. And that was when Ollie got first got the job. So um, yeah, it, it seems like it's rearing its head again. And I am I am honest. Well, I'm baffled that he's still in a job, but I'm not shocked that he's still in a job because of the way Man United have been run over the last few years. One thing that I don't get at the minute, and I'm struggling to understand it, is a lot of people are blaming it on Ronaldo at the minute. And I just can't fathom as to why. Like, I understand that he doesn't press and he's he's ruined the Man United team by coming back in, somebody said, and whatnot. We didn't ruin the Man United team when he's scoring two against Newcastle, when he's scoring the last-minute goal against Atalanta, he's scoring last-minute goals against, um, who was it in the round before? Villarreal in the round before, wasn't it? I just don't, I don't understand the calls for, um, you know, Ronaldo's, the, the return of Ronaldo's not suited Manchester United and, and, and has not, not improved the team. He can't do everything in the team. You know, I thought he, he takes his goal well that gets ruled out, Ronaldo, and he's never going to press. He's not going to. But you would think Ronaldo's smart enough to do enough to maybe cut off passing lanes if you had players around him that went and pressed. And for what you have to carry, maybe maybe a little defensively, it gives you so much attacking wise. And I just don't. I think he's coming for a bit of un, undeserved stick at the minute, Ronaldo. Yeah, there's no point having Cristiano Ronaldo on the pitch if you're not going to create chances. Like I sort of said, there you've got McTominay and Fred. Well, you know they'll not create chances against under sevens. Um, then you've got Fernandez, obviously again can't do it on his own. Rashford bang out of form. I know he scored against Leicester. Um, Greenwood, you know, there's loads of stuff going on about him at the minute. Yes, he's a, a young lad with an unreal amount of potential and talent. But I'm seeing a lot of Manu fans, you know, label him as greedy, and you know, him and Ronaldo aren't really clicking. Again, you've got Sancho sat on the bench, like I've just said, doing nothing. He's just getting, he's just getting it all wrong. Um, and like I said, I don't agree with the fact about like um, people mourning at Ronaldo. It's just something easy to to throw at. Throw and Man United have been poor. They were poor without Ronaldo. If it wasn't for Ronaldo this season, what are they, eighth, ninth in the league, something like that? They'd probably be 12, 13, 14, and, and bottom of the Champions League group. So to, to chuck out that, you know, one of the greatest players, um, probably of all time and, and still one of the world's best now is, is detriment in the team. You've got to look at the manager. You know, he's, he's everywhere, everyone and every manager has got something out of Ronaldo. And it seems like Solskjaer can. And again, just proving that is. He's not the man for the job. He's not the man at this at this level. Um, if it wasn't again, keep saying it. I'll repeatedly repeatedly say it. He'll probably go and beat Tottenham and Man City now because that's the type of thing he does. He gets lucky. But if it wasn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he would have been out six six weeks ago. If he didn't score the goal against uh, against Bayern Munich in the ninety nine final, he would have been out a long long time ago. He wouldn't have got the job in the first place because he got sacked from Cardiff and only did the, did an all right job in in Mulder, where it's basically you know like winning it with Celtic when Rangers wasn't there. So that's pointless. Um, so, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's it's kind of sad to see Man United in that sort of state of affair, to be honest. I, I, I was chuckling at times, but when you think about what they were under Ferguson and when we were growing up watching football, they were the they were the kings for, for the vast majority of it. I know they had the challenges of Chelsea and Arsenal, but they saw off those challenges. And uh, the minute they don't like, look like getting anywhere, you know, you watch Liverpool, no, we're probably not giving them, them enough credit for they were outstanding. Man City, you watch them against Brighton, the football they played were absolutely outstanding. Chelsea, in, in probably a different type of way, are a very, very good team as well. And, and Man United are a million, million miles off that. Yeah, it probably highlights how, um, how impressive Ferguson's spell was to keep, you know, to keep the teams fresh every year in terms of, you know, dominating for the period that they did do at Manchester United and um, 
and like you say, Liverpool, we're not giving them credit. Mo Salah, um, he is for me the best player in the world at the minute. Uh, there's no question on that for me. The impact he's having on games, um, you know, it's fantastic. And, you know, Salah looks, he looks like he's in the form of his career at the minute. And I'm sure Liverpool will be keen to time Mo Salah down to as long a contract as possible to try and keep him at the club for as long as they can. I think he said something about finishing his career at Liverpool, hasn't he? I've seen somewhere. They'd like to do that, and I'm sure that's music to every Liverpool fans' ears. But um, a good weekend if you are um, from Merseyside, the red side of Merseyside, and then uh, if you're a Manchester United fan, uh, the problems continue. Just sticking with football, we've got to just quickly touch on the on the sad news of the death of Walter Smith um, that came this week. Walter Smith, the former Rangers, Scotland and Everton manager, um, he died at the age of 73, uh, a manager that had two spells in charge of Rangers winning, um, won 10 top flight titles, five Scottish Cups, six League Cups and the, and the 2008 UEFA Cup as well. Um, he had success in his time at Everton and Scotland also. And uh, you've got to look at the stats that he has. He's the second most successful manager in, in Rangers history. He's a real Rangers legend and a real great, isn't he? That'll be missed by everybody at Ibrox. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, thoughts go out to his family, and I thought the piece, you know, if, if people are stuck what I thought the piece that Ali McCoy did on, on Talksport was um, an outstanding tribute. Obviously, Ali McCoy played under him, and, and I'm sure Walter would have helped him when McCoy was the Rangers manager, um, like, like you mentioned in there. So yeah, it's had time shocking. I didn't know he was poorly or anything like that, to be honest. Um, so when the news come out, it was, was shocking. Like I said, when you know, we were kids sort of growing up, it was Celtic and Rangers and, and Walter Smith was the, the sort of constant in that um, uh, Rangers dugout when, you know, you, you, you watch the games on Sky. So, yeah, you know, like I said, thoughts go out to uh, his family. Yeah, a real legend. And I think uh, it was also Alan McCoy, who was his assistant manager as well at Rangers, I believe, for the latter stages as well. And um, Yeah, well, yeah, because it was when he had the fight with Lennon, weren't it? Yeah, McCoy said about, it, about him being a brilliant manager, a brilliant person, but an even better friend and a man as well, and fantastic um, career that he had at um, that he had at Rangers. Walter Smith had been missed by everybody, of course, at Ibrox, and like you say, our thoughts go out to his uh, friends and family in this difficult time. And it's another legend that passes away, isn't it? And I suppose when legends do pass away, you kind of you hear from all the people. And I heard this said on Talksport with people saying that when the legends pass away, like Walter Smith, you hear the the caliber of people that come out and speak so highly of them makes you realise, doesn't it, just how good they were. Uh, and how much of an impact they had on so many different people. So, um, sad news this week of Walter Smith. And uh, and finally, just to touch on the the Formula One this weekend was in um, was in America in Austin, Texas, uh, and it was another brilliant race in the in the Formula One calendar. On a little bit later, uh, started with Max Verstappen snatching pole position uh, and starting the race on pole. Lewis Hamilton getting a great start off the off the line and uh, and taking first place from Verstappen. Verstappen and Red Bull deciding to undercut Hamilton on the on the pit strategy and, and got back out in front and managed to just about hold uh, Hamilton and Mercedes off uh, onto the final lap uh, to win the uh, the Grand Prix and take a lead in the um, in the World Championship. It's extremely tight. There's four races, I believe it is, to go. Uh, Mexico next, which has generally been a, a good track for Red Bull. Uh, you've got Sergio Perez getting a third place. That's that's in great form at the minute. His own Grand Prix at Red Bull. You've got to think. It's a really tasty end to the season, but at the minute it's looking pretty good for uh, Max Verstappen and Red Bull, isn't it? Yeah, obviously they're, they're looking the favourites. Obviously, they're, they're sitting top of the, the the standings at the minute. Again, like you said, they're another really intriguing race. Um, you know, and you're, you're you're watching it, thinking, you know, sometimes, like I said, this season's been been outstanding. We've mentioned about F one being before, been a bit boring. Um, you know, this this season's really like you know gripped my attention. 
and got the love for the sport. Um, another intriguing race, maybe not the wheel to wheel stuff. I know it was at the start and particularly between McLaren and Ferrari, it was wheel to wheel. It was maybe more about the tactics at the front of the um, at the front of the race this time. You know, obviously Red Bull making that call to come in early. They were talking to Christian Horner, weren't they? And I don't think Christian Horner was. Um, they asked him if he'd gone in too early. I don't think he was all convinced, but obviously it turned out to be a, a good tactic in the end. Coming round, I think Schumacher was going to let him out. Didn't end up too bad, actually, because uh, Verstappen ended up with DRS and uh, and Hamilton didn't, so that, that little thing worked for him. But no, it's, it's going to be extremely nail-biting and, and tight, and I'm, I'm just hoping, as a neutral, I'm not particularly a fan of, of, of either of them. Um, I'd, I'd swear towards Hamilton to win it just because he's British. Um, but, you know... Either one who wins, I just hope it goes down to the to, to the final race and we can continue to have a, a very, very good F1 season. Your team Hamilton and more team Verstappen. I quite like Red Bull. That's a bit of a change at the top. And I would not have liked to have been Mick Schumacher, by the way, if he did cost Verstappen um, the, the race win at the weekend because I think he'd have gone that slightly mad. It strikes me as a bit of an angry person, Max Verstappen. Um, but another great week of the F1. In a couple of weeks' time, they will be in Mexico as the drama continues. That's all for part two of the show. Coming up in the final part of the show, we'll take a look at the start of the T20 World Cup where England made the perfect start with two wins from two. On 102.4 FM, across Rotherham, online, on your mobile and on your smart speaker. This is Red Road FM. Welcome back to final part of this week's show. It's now time to discuss the T20 World Cup, which is taking place out in Dubai and uh, in the UAE and Oman. England have made the perfect start. That's the only place we can really start. And we spoke about how they've um, they had a bit of a, a puzzle to, to solve in terms of picking their squad and fitting players into their squad. Uh, into their starting eleven, sorry, for this tournament. They had the world champions with the West Indies in the first game. You know, the 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 memories of that Carlos Brathwaite uh, four sixes off the Ben Stokes uh, over to win the World Cup. Maybe England could have come into this tournament as, as reigning champions. It wasn't to be. And they'll try and become the champions in this one. And it was a perfect start. Bowling the West Indies out for 55, which is an absolutely remarkable performance by the England bowlers. Uh, looking at the wicket takers, they've all chipped in as well. You've got Moe Nally with um, two for 17 off his four overs, really set the tone uh, at the start of the innings. Uh, looking to Adil Rashid, unbelievable, four for two from 2.2 overs. That's four wickets for two runs uh, in 2.2 overs, which is ridiculous. That's 14 balls, which is crazy. Uh, two for 17 from Tamar Mills back into the squad. Mark Woodward missing a late fitness test. Um so, so, so say failing, sorry, a late fitness test. Uh, Chris Jordan and Chris Wokes also chipping in with wickets and uh, tight spells from uh, their overs. You look then at the batting, England messed about a little with the batting order, but the, the hard work had been done, hadn't it? And the bowling unit showed why on their day they can be the best in the world. Yeah, obviously outstanding, obviously, with the, with the Sheffield United Barnsley game being a, on a Sunday, I had a, had a chance to watch it on, on on Saturday and it was you know very good viewing um sort of flicking between that and, and Gillette soccer and you know every time I'd flick back onto the cricket there was an advert and I was thinking crikey not another one and they got another one and another one um like I said that I, I was standing at time to deal with she proving otherwise the, the the best best spinner in the world at one day cricket I know there's a, probably a few up there with him um Moeen Ali as well opening the bowling um done very well like you said they've all done well Mills to be out of the fold for so long and come back into a big tournament bowled well Wokes who got I think he got a bit of tap in one of the warm-up games bowled you know fairly tight as well 
Um, I know they didn't get loads of overs in, but you know, full credit to them. And like I said, they didn't mess about with the batting order a bit, but like I said all the job was done in, in that first innings and um, sorry, in the, the West Indies innings and, and getting them out for 55. Then England, no, they, they, they could have they sent the bowlers out to open the batting and, and they would have got they would have knocked that off quite easy. Yeah, perfect start for England, and that takes them into the the game today against Bangladesh, which you know they're going to with you know a lot of um, a lot of confidence after the win against the West Indies. Bangladesh can be tri- a tricky team to play, as Australia found out when Bangladesh beat them in the the one day series, I believe, in uh, in in recent months. But it was again business as usual for England uh, in that one, restricting um, Bangladesh to 124 for nine from their 20 overs. Just looking at the, some of the wickets, two wickets for Liam Livingstone, um, two for 15, two for Moeen Ali, two for 18. I know Rashid didn't pick up a wicket, but um, went for 35 from his four overs. Tamar Mills again, once again in the wickets as well, with three wickets for, for 27 runs. So a good performance by England bowlers. Again, like we say, it's, there's a variety of, of bowlers chipping in uh, with the wickets. Uh, Josh Butler fell early on for 18 in the reply. Um, and then you had uh, Jason Roy was the star, 61 runs from 38 balls, hitting five fours and three sixes um, to, you know, to launch England towards that total um, and to knock it off with around five overs to spare, two wickets down. Also, David Milan with 28 from, from 25 and Johnny Bairstow, eight from four, not out. A big confidence booster for Milan, you know, to get some runs where he's been under pressure a little bit. Fantastic knock by Jason Roy. And with the two wins now, you have to look at England, don't you? And think they're right in the driving seat to go deep in this tournament. Yeah, they are. Obviously, I think you know West Indies and Bangladesh. And I know West Indies are the, the reigning champions, but it's not the the most difficult games we're going to play. That that, that will come on um, Saturday when we take on the Australians. I think that might maybe the most difficult game we have in the group. Um, but no, job done. We, we beat what's put in front of us. I think obviously Jason Royal take the headline of the sixty-one, but Milan probably doing the job. He's in the team. You know what he's in the team to do. You know he can he can really dig in and and eat a few balls up if needed to. I know we didn't really need to today, but it's, it's good that he has got those runs and and shown that he can do it. By no means a slow a slow knock, obviously twenty eight from twenty five, but it's not a it's not the Jason Roy type knock. But it's, it's good that he's done it. Good that we beat Bangladesh. Uh, like I said, ball and bat. Obviously we got to do a little bit more with the bat today, and the batters have um, also delivered. But no perfect start. And like I said, we, it looks like. Um, well, I don't want to jinx it, but it looks like the early signs are that we will be uh, making the semi-finals. I think if we beat Australia the weekend, um, that that should should see us home. Yeah, it's a really positive signs for England at the minute, and I suppose the other team that are, that are making really positive signs at the minute and and, uh, and are making waves in this tournament is Pakistan. And we spoke a little bit when we previewed the 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 T Twenty World Cup on last week's show. We spoke about how. Pakistan could be dangerous with the players that they've got, you know, led by Babar Azam, who's a fantastic one-day cricketer. And they gave the biggest statement they could give by beating India at the weekend. India 151 for seven from their 20 overs. Um, you just look into the to the Pakistan attack and um Shaheen Afridi picking up three for uh, three for 31 in his four overs was a star of that one. And then yes, they've beaten uh, the Indians, but to beat India by 10 wickets, 152 without loss from 17.5 overs and to have the innings that, you know, Rizwan gave Mohamed Rizwan and Baba Rizam, 79 off 55 and 68 off 52, two explosive players at the top of the order that can do that to teams. And you're kind of thinking that's a real statement from Pakistan. And then you follow that with a win over um, over New Zealand as well, who were well fancy in this tournament. 
get restricting them to 134 for eight, uh, and then 135 uh, that they knocked off in 18.4 overs, five wickets down, a bit more of a battling victory in that one. But it's two great wins for Pakistan, isn't it? Which should pretty much see them through with the group they've got, with it being a little weaker, barring any hiccups. They've beat the two best teams in that half. So signs look really good for Pakistan to go deep as well, don't they, into the tournament? Yeah, you said a little weaker there. I think you mean Khan. I think that, that that half of the group, you know, they, they felt very lucky with it. Um, it's not got not got the best teams in the world, has it? But no, it's a good start. But the thing is, with T20 cricket and one day cricket, we saw it in the cricket World Cup with England. We were a little bit stop start in the the group stage. You know, we lost a couple to Sri Lanka, I think, as well. And we come on towards the end. So it's not it's a bit of a cliche, but it's not. How you start is how you end. So both England and Pakistan have got to hope they take the form and keep going because it only takes one off day. On that, you know, you could be fantastic for the group stage, but it does only take that one off day in the semi-final, and, and you're on the plane home. But you know, obviously, fingers crossed for us that um, England can can continue their their great form right the way for a win. Hopefully, see us through to the final. Yeah, great start too. The Cricket World Cup which continues on Sky Sports throughout this week and into next. And that big game at the weekend, one not to be missed. Australia versus England starts at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Uh, hopefully, England can get a win there and take one foot and sorry, have one foot sorry into the uh, into the semi-finals. But that's all we've got time from this week's show. We've got lots of great sport to look forward to across uh, the week that's coming up that we can touch on next week's show. Not just that big game between England and Australia in the T20 World Cup, but big games for our teams, our local teams this weekend, including the Millers, who take on Sunderland in a big top-of-the-table clash in League One. We look forward to talking about them on next week's show. Thank you for listening. <laughs>